I'm a different actor now than what I was. Um, obviously, obviously, I'm a mother now. I'm older now. I have had way more experiences and have been through way more things. You know, so you have to you have to have such a grasp and such a grounding for sure. Um, and then yes, the ability to transfer you're going through to an audience and to make them feel stuff um that's huge welcome to the creative freedom podcast with saint swell our chance to explore ideas on cultivating greater creative freedom in our own lives and how you can do the same this week it's holly stern in the hot seat as we find out more about her life growing up in scotland catching the acting bug as well as uncovering more about what it takes to bring greater truth and honesty to your lifelong journey as an artist as always, please like, share, subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you enjoy. Holly. Dreamy. Welcome to the other side of the podcasting table. Oh, I'm not at all nervous. It feels hot in here. Mm-hmm. If you caught our uh, previous episode, you'll know that Holly had a chance to quiz me on my uh, inspiration, my creativity and basically my life. Mm-hmm. Um so it only seemed right that this week we get a chance to do the same for you. Okay. So I'm not going to hang around. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm just going to jump straight in. Straight in with the deep ones, Holly. Oh, God, go for it. Question one. Tell me... Ab- I, feel like there, I feel like there's like a millionaire thing going... The spotlight. That's something. Way to get further down. Oh, jeez. Question one. Tell me about your first exposure to art growing up. Um, I'm not sure I have like a specific memory of my first exposure to art, but what I do have is, um, memories of how much as a child and really young, actually, I absolutely adored films. I adored the theatre, but I didn't, didn't go really, um, very much as a child, certainly, but I absolutely adored films and, um... I guess that would be my first kind of... I mean, music was massive in our house. Like, my dad had, like, you know, had loads of vinyl and it was a, you know, it was we just grew up with music and that was a really big deal. So I probably went to... I went to... Uh, I think my first gig was Loud and Wainwright with my dad in Castle Milk. Castle in Milk, Castle Glasgow. Milk. Big up Castle Milk. <laughs> Which, for anyone unfamiliar, is not... An obvious choice of venue or For location. Loud, no, it's really not, but I don't know why. But he was playing in this like little church hall and I must have been about 11 or something. And um, and he's like, I mean, he's so great, but he, he would, people would often just shout out what they wanted to hear. And I was too kind of shy to shout out what I wanted to hear. And my dad wouldn't shout out the thing I wanted to hear. So he didn't, he d- I, don't, I don't think he played it. Um, but that was like my first memory. And we, we, I think my dad was he's going with like his friends from school and so we got the bus. Jeez, we got the bus home from like Castle Milk to Airdrie. Um and then, you know, like actually in the next kind of few years in it, I think the next one was like I went to like Smashing Pumpkins. That was like my first big um gig of the SECC. When it was the SECC, not mm-hmm. the SEC. SEC. So um, how did how did that um that exposure to music was potentially not personal to you or your age growing up so they were like influences of maybe your brother maybe your dad Mm -hmm. 
when do you think was the first time you heard a band or an artist or a song and you said they're speaking for me or they that's representative of who I am oh god um I don't know if I had that uh, I mean I, I, ha- I certainly had that as a teenager and as a teenager um <laughs> that was you know rap music I adored Eminem I was really big into hip-hop and that was where I felt seen which is you know really funny in lots of ways from like a little kid from Airdrie but that is where I felt like my angst could live and um I could kind of just escape into those songs but um as a as a child before then like I remember listening to like Bjork um in primary school and obviously like they're oh god who was it eternal i loved eternal when they came out i would like i would like sing with you know the three of them and there was another two girls in my class and we would kind of sing in the corners of like or behind like or where we would stand for the bell god the bell um and we would we would stand there and we would like sing harmonies and stuff and i guess i would be about um oh god 10 i don't know 10 9 10 <clears throat> so you feel that was there an aha moment in the in the lead up to that or is that a natural thing to move from consuming films music art to then suddenly being like I want to participate in that was that a conscious process um I I mean I'm not sure how conscious it was as much as it was a feeling that I just knew I was really shy as a kid when I was younger, like not, not, you know, not super shy, but I was like, my parents would come and see me in things in school, um, you know, like really young when I was kind of like five, six, seven, and I'd be like a super shy kid. I wasn't like what our, you know, what our daughter would, you know, be like our eldest. I wasn't like that. Um, but I had a real strong feeling that, I wanted to be an actor. I always had a sense of that that was what I wanted to be and um, the music thing was just always a natural, you know, the singing was just always natural. I grew up with so much music in our household. You know, the car, like everywhere we went, there was always music and I was always singing. Although what's funny about that is that my mum and dad actually didn't really realise that I could sing until... I mean, oh God, they say it's like a lot. It was like, I think I was maybe, jeez, oh what age did I be? About 17 or 18. And we went on holiday to Tunisia and I sang, <laughs> I sang Shakira. Um, and like I, my mum and I were like, oh my God, we didn't know you could sing. And I was kind of like, what? And then I realised that actually I didn't really sing really loud as a child in my room when they were there. I kind of had this, um, I maybe would do it when they were out or, you know, I, I probably, it, yeah, it's funny just kind of thinking about it now, but they didn't really know that I could kind of sing until I did that. And then obviously then, you know, years later they would see me in different things and, 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 you know, do that kind of parent cry thing where they're just like, oh my God. Um, which is obviously in contrast, which is, which is in contrast to me who grew up being extremely yeah. loud and obnoxious and couldn't hold a note in a bucket <laughs> if I tried. <laughs> So my parents knew something. They knew that guy can't <laughs> sing. And the last thing he should ever be entertaining is a career as a singer. Mm. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I never listened. Yeah. But it's so interesting that that version of ourselves 
that we replay back to our parents and then the surprise in their face to be like, oh my goodness, she... They really didn't know. Yeah. And it's funny thinking about that now, especially as someone now who has children and seeing like how expressive our... Um, I mean, particularly our eldest daughter is and how much you know, it's really clear to us and... You know, you don't want to lead or mislead, but it's really clear to us um, the things that she's interested in and the things that she's really, um, performance-wise, that she's really comfortable and good at. That was a shock to my mum and dad. I didn't, I, I mean, I guess it's strange now to think about it, but I didn't share that with them. Um, and I don't know why. I don't know if it was like a, I, I don't know what that was. Um... I don't know. Yeah. No, I don't know what it was. But I mean, I remember having a friend in college and she she had a huge voice and, and we used to sing like ballads and stuff together and duets. And she grew up in a house where, you know, her folks knew from a really early age that she sang. And I remember her talking about her singing at home and the freedom that she, you know, that, that was the sense that I got when I heard her talk about how she sang. And um, it was obvious that her parents knew because it was just such a a natural thing for her to to have done in her house and I don't know why um for a for a big part of my childhood it wasn't it was something that I kind of did behind but closed doors with like a, a remote you know or a brush or you know whatever and into my like window and my reflection um it was never sing. it was never discouraged it just no my god it was never, never discouraged was. it just wasn't it wasn't as obvious it wasn't as you know, I don't know. I don't know what that was. I don't but know you had, aside from singing, you had expressed vocally a, a desire to act and they had helped to uh, enroll you in various... As an as as an older Acting kid, yeah. I mean, like when age? I was when I was in, well, when I was in primary school, like I got the lead in like the primary shows, um, and then I got like I got high school stuff as well. But that, you know, so they were they knew they were they knew from a really early age that I, uh, that I loved it and that it, I was really passionate about it and that I was good at it. Um, you know, the, there was, yeah, there was that. And then when I was a teenager, yeah, absolutely. I went to Scottish Youth Theatre and that was, you know, every Saturday they would come and uh, take me to that and various kind of different things. But How do you think that those experiences in, in youth theatre being surrounded by other people? So my guess is, and you can you know absolutely correct me if I'm wrong, small town in, Air, in Scotland where you grew up in Airdrie, wasn't known for being a hotbed for developing acting talent. Yeah. So therefore, w being able to look at the silver screen and say, I want to be that, in much the same way as a child can say, I want to be an astronaut, yeah. is very different to looking at the screen and going, I can be that, or I yeah. know, you know, where was that connection between life in Lanarkshire and then the people you're watching on the big screen? I don't think as a child there is that connection. I don't think you see the vast, um, I don't know if you notice the difference. Do, do you know what I mean? I, I'm not sure how much you go, you think about it on that level. I think as a child you just know what feels good. I think kids are really good at knowing what feels good. And for me, that felt good. And it felt um, comfortable. Um, it felt, it felt, um, it just felt like it was like a, 
like a core nutrient for me. Like it was something that I needed in my life to be able to, you know, feel good. So what, what did those youth theatres, what did those experiences teach you about yourself? Um, I'm not sure what they taught me about myself. I mean, I think I think as any kid going to something that's new is a challenge because you're you're stepping out of your comfort zone and that's always nice. And um, it was nice to meet other kids who, you know, you're, you're going from a really small town in Airdrie in North Lanarkshire to somewhere that is a little bit more, you know, into Glasgow and to, to different, where you're, you're opened up to more people and to kids from different parts of the country. And that was, that was really good. Um, I'm not sure what it taught me about myself other than I, I, I felt really good when I was recognised. Like I remember having people come in to do specific workshops and people who were, um, who were coming to, to potentially be new tutors for, for the um, Scottish Youth Theatre. So they would come in and, and the, our tutor would pick um, like a class, a smaller class to go and to, to kind of be taught by um, this person to kind of see if it was successful and if, if we kind of gelled and stuff. Um, I remember being picked to, to go and do that a few different times and um, I think we did a production in the SEC. It wasn't like a full-scale kind of panto type thing or but it was a kind of, I don't know why it was there really because it was more like a come and show the parents type thing but it was in the SECC. Um and that was great because I had, a, you know, I had, uh, you know, a good kind of monologue and, and stuff even then. And I just remember being really grateful to, you know, it w- didn't matter if I was in Airdrie or if I was if I was there or if I was somewhere bigger. I just remember feeling it was really good to feel recognised. It was so good to to, um, to see that even when you move from that small town to someone a little bit bigger, that, 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 that people still saw something in you that, that you know... Maybe you didn't in yourself, but you could. You were going, oh, why am I being picked for stuff, or why am, you know, I'm kind of always getting good feedback and stuff, and that felt really nice. What do you think, looking back over those earlier kind of acting years, what advice could you have given to your younger self now that would have allowed them to go <laughs> further towards towards either following their passion in a given way or to, towards ultimately getting to that end goal of being on the on the big screen um i think i would just say stick with it um i am someone who is very spontaneous and who doesn't like to do anything in the moment that doesn't feel good um and that can be excellent and it can also be dangerous because actually i i i am easy to pack stuff in when it doesn't feel good so, I mean, that can that can be anything. That can just be like, this isn't feeling good right now. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm done. Um, I wish I had, um, in ways, I had uh, taken a bigger punt on it, and that I had I had encouragement from, you know, from parents or whatever at that time to kind of go, no, actually, you stay in this lane because it's meant for you. And yeah, what do you think is more? Valuable talent or drive? Oh, we've had this chat so many times. Oh my word! Do you know? I think a long time ago I would have said it's talent, but I think we, I think, um, 
based on what we see is it's got to be a combination of both but I think the I think we only have to look at the you know all the different people that we're kind of seeing now in the world and um drive is a big factor drive is a huge factor and one that I never ever felt that I had I never felt driven I never felt that bothered I'm, so, I'm too laid back do you know what I mean I'm far too laid back that I was just like I was always happy-go-lucky and just you know yeah I don't know it's an interesting one isn't it because you, you you know I think of that uh I think of that quote from Macklemore on yeah. um, you know, and great great artists weren't born great. They were great because they painted a lot. Mm. You know, and it's about having using yeah. that drive and determination and then coupling that with, you know, discipline. And discipline, maybe maybe yeah. there's a grain of you know, there has to be at some stage a grain of talent that's going to separate, you know, the best from the also rands or the you know but at the same time mm. there's something incredibly worthwhile about being able to do your passion as a full-time career, whether you're working in small-scale theatre productions and making a living. And again, we were talking about in the last episode, not all getting to be the Ed Sheerans of the world. There is a vast spectrum in between of which you get to help define success in terms of what makes you you successful as an actor or an artist. I think it's an interesting um, personal development stage to go through and yeah, really sure. define yes it's easy to say well, my goal is to win uh, as many um, Oscars as Meryl Streep or mm-hmm. nomination mm-hmm. yeah great you know 100% but we can't all be the Steve Jobs and the Beyonce's and the and the Meryl Streep's and the Ed Sheeran's but we can be a damn good version of ourselves which segues beautifully into oh. my next question oh wow this is you know this is th- this is the ace in, in the deck now, Holly. Oh, God, don't make me cry. I'm not going to make you cry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't guarantee that. I don't think it's going to. What right. makes what makes oh my. a great actor? Oh, my gosh. I mean, well, first of all, I think you could ask anyone this question and you would have um, a vast array of answers and I'm sure they would all be... Uh, great and on a given day I might say a different thing but right now what makes a great actor I think um, I think someone who is I think someone who has a really good grasp on reality I think someone who is able to be really vulnerable and someone who is able to just tell the truth in such a way that makes you feel things that you didn't even know that you felt. I think for me, acting has always been a sense of um, to watch it and to it is a feeling thing. It's such a it it, it can't you know I can't always find the words for it. I think if we let's take a very small a very you new know, kind of small example. It makes total sense that somebody like Ricky Tomlinson, who got into acting in his 40s or 50s and was extremely successful playing grounded, rooted, working class men from the Northwest, Mm. who he was in essence, it made total sense that, could you imagine coming out of RADA and trying to go for parts as as the same working class 
you know, people much more difficult. So the idea of being able to bring yourself and like you're saying, an act rooted in reality makes so is a yeah. is a total game changer from how we perceive what a great actor has to be, you know, the great thespian. Well, because of, we sometimes think of it as like they have to be great technicians and they have to be great at, you know, and that's great and that has a part for sure and that's valuable, but that isn't valuable. First of all, without life experience, like I, I'm a different actor now than what I was. Um, obviously, obviously, I'm a mother now. I'm older now. I have had way more experiences and have been through way more things. You know, so you have to, you have to have such a grasp and such a grounding for sure. Um, and then yes, the ability to transfer you know, what you're going through to an audience and to make them feel stuff. Um, that's huge, you know, and to really trust yourself in that, to really, you can see the people and it's as clear as day, you can see the people who are acting and you can see the people who are just being. And when you see someone who's just being, it just changes everything because it just brings you into that journey with them and you're there and you've, you know, whether you've been through it or not, you're there with them. Um, and that's really precious when that happens. This next question. I can see you're smiling. If anyone <laughs> who knows Holly and is listening, this will seem like the most obvious question in the world. If you know me, yeah. If you know you. <laughs> who is the greatest ever actor and why? You know what? I don't, I'm not sure there is an answer to who is the greatest actor. Um, Again, it's completely subjective. I think there are wonderful actors who we will never even have heard of, um, who we won't even know their names. And that's just the sad state of affairs that is the industry. And it's really hard to, you know, there's only so many seats at the table and there's only so many films and there's only so many productions and that's really difficult. Um, but... There are, yes, there are some actors who, of course, stand out. And for me, yes, there are a few. Um, I cannot see past Marlon Brando's performance in A Streetcar Named Desire as being something that is timelessly groundbreaking. I only discovered that movie, like, last year. And... I think to have been such a consumer of film and to have, you know, partaken at different stages and acting to watch a performance like that. Oh my God. It just, it's just so rooted in truth and subtlety. And I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. It was so beautiful to watch and I could watch that movie like, well, you know, <laughs> you know. I could watch that movie every time and still be like, what? What? But we're talking about a movie made in what year? Oh, like 53 or something. Oh, it's probably not that and I've got it wrong. But no. it, I mean, it's like the fifth. It's, it's, are you going to look it up right now? No, no, it's fine. What is it about that um, role in particular? So my, my memories or understanding of Brando is obviously as Don Corleone. God, yeah, I mean, phenomenal. And we watched that again recently. And yeah. as try as I heart, uh, as try as I heart, can't even get the phrase right. Yeah. As try as I might, I cannot see Marlon Brando 
in that suit, in that movie, yeah. uh, behind that desk, uh, in any of the scenes, he does not let it go. 1951. So we're talking about a movie that's 70 years old and, you know, still being, still being spoken about, which yeah. is phenomenal itself. But I cannot see a break, the separation between who Marlon Brando may or may not have been at that time. Yeah. Bearing in mind that he's playing a character, what, 20 years older well, than... Well, that was the thing because, I mean, the, the funny thing for me is that I'm coming to Brando really late as an actor. Um, I only discovered him... You know, obviously, I knew that he, I knew his name, I knew what he had done, I knew some of the things that he had, you know, been in, but it was never something that I'd particularly explored, you know, in, in any great depth. And obviously, I'd seen The Godfather, but it was a real long time ago, and I couldn't really, you know, I didn't, I didn't um, remember that much about it. So when we went back to it recently, last year, um, and then that was like that was it for me. That was like the oh my god, this guy and you know that performance and everything that he was in that film and then to realize for me who didn't know that yes he was like in his 40s when he played this part um oh god you know you're just as an actor particularly as well you're just those roles are just god when you start diving in as you've done reading biographies of people like Brando and, you know, Catherine Hepburn and, and other actors, what are you least surprised by when you see their personal lives and how they've used those experiences or things they've gone through that are then reflected back into the characters that they've played? Well, I mean, Brando was like such an enigma and, you know, he's like, I mean all actors are complex, but, you know, this, this is someone who's got a lot of stuff going on and, you know, reading his biography was really fascinating in lots of ways because it was so much pain, you know, there was so much pain as a child and um, just a kid who was really desperate to be loved and who wasn't, who wasn't, you know, who didn't feel loved for sure anyway and didn't feel... Um, connected and like he belonged and um, and obviously we've you know we, we as people as songwriters as we just talked about we bring all of our stuff into we can't separate our you know our childhood or our upbringing or our life from our um, our work we're going to bring aspects of it in and and that's the beauty of it is that hopefully it will colour in a certain way. I'm not sure that is answering your question. No, I'm no. not sure what your question is like went on a rant. No, no, I think question? it's really I think it's a really interesting point about what what, what, least what actors by what actors bring in. So so let's by. say for instance you're saying Brando has a trouble history, some family, you know, issues and various things. Yeah. That to me, having seen a little bit of streetcar, um, is reflected in the character of Stanley and what he brought to it. Yeah. But likewise then when you watch The Godfather and when he plays Don Corleone, he's playing the opposite of what he had growing up. He's the patriarch Absolutely. of this obviously very violent family, but the family doesn't exist without him yeah. and starts to implode in the years afterwards as the children come along and that root isn't there anymore. Yeah. I'm fascinated then to know how he, how he instinctively knew what to bring to that role when he was playing something that he didn't have growing up yeah. versus Stanley Kowalski, who seems a little bit broken and a little bit angry. angry. Again, 20 years earlier. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, or, or, or more. Um, and who knows, you know, we'll always, obviously you will be doing your research and stuff as well as an actor. Um, and I think maybe we can maybe look at parenting in that way of going, you know, we often have that thing of being like, I'm going to give my kids what I didn't have, right? So there's that aspect of it as well. But there's also people who are just so amazing that they can just, you know, they just have an understanding of what is asked and what 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 is... Um, I don't know of how to kind of to to bring forth what the script is calling for, and more, more. I think he was notorious for actually being someone who really hated scripts and thought that they were awful and terrible and weren't as well written as he um, would then ad lib or freestyle or rewrite. Um, so I think he had a. I think anyone that really knew him. Um, first and foremost said that he was a poet he was such a poet you know he had such a way with words and had such an understanding of language that um you really wanted that to to kind of be in you know he understood human nature and he really wanted that to kind of be you know in his movies as far as i can kind of see from what i've watched what can we learn from not just brando but artists of that kind of renegade um Counterculture. What can we learn from them in terms of what we can bring back in to express inside our own art, regardless of whether it's uh, acting or writing or or music? What does it show you? I mean, oh God. He, I mean, he. For if we're talking about him, and we're st we're still on him, <laughs> we're still we on him. I'm time. aware that you're on him. That's so funny. Um. Um. I think he he just couldn't bear bullshit. He was someone who couldn't bear um, to, you know, if we think about how movies are, are nowadays, where there's like, you know, they've got the actors have got to go around and all, you know all over the world and do all these interviews and all these kind of press junkets and all these different things, and he despised that. He despised the fact that he was almost like a salesperson for the movie and. Um, I think with someone like Brando or with someone who is, um, you know, a kind of renegade in their own way, um, I think that's just such a beautiful thing to see because you're not playing the game, but you're still somehow succeeding. Do you know what I mean? You're not you're not going down the, the kind of the route. And he was really political. Like, you know, there's so many interviews of him. Um, he was there for the civil rights movement. He was right there with Martin Luther King. He was like best friends with James Baldwin. Um, he he was a guy who, when you watch his interviews now, they are so relevant now. You know what he's saying then is so relevant now, and he was very much for, you know, the, the well civil rights movement, but also for like American Indians and, you know, people who were oppressed in any way. And he was very clear and understood a lot about how America had treated these people. And um, and he spoke about it. He didn't want to talk about movies. He wanted to talk about this stuff. And I think if we can learn anything from people, not just Brando, but from people like him, is that, yes, they are actors, but look at Leonardo DiCaprio. You know, he's an environmentalist for, you know, he's a huge activist for climate change and... Um, do we have so many other faucets, facets, faucets, um, 
to ourselves as humans that we're, you know, acting as one thing as, as to be a storyteller, but to to really allow our fullest expression and not just be limited by the fact that we are just actors or just storytellers, but actually, um, you know, human. And again, it's that thing of having a grasp on reality. You know? Again, not for the first time, a perfect segue. Oh. Talking about not being limited. Okay. I'm going to take you back now to autumn 2006. Jeez. A friend that you work with has mentioned uh, that he knows somebody who's looking for, uh, in particular, a female singer. Yeah. Real. Let's let's walk back over your experience of how how we first kind of met and, oh and kind of got word. set up with music. Okay. So I was working for Save the Children, and um, not as one of those like street people, by the way, <laughs> who like stops and tries to get money. <laughs> I was working um, as a youth participa- participation worker in the east end of Glasgow. I just started, met this Irish guy, and he was like, um, yeah, I can't remember how the conversation went, but I remember him being like, oh, you sing? And I was like, yeah. And he said, oh, my friend is like this singer-songwriter. Um and I don't remember if he said he's looking for a singer, but I do remember him saying he's playing at uh, Nice and Sleazy's on Monday night. It's like an open mic. Why don't you come? And I was like, okay. Um, and I came and I met you because it was you. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, you both as, you know, two different kind of people were so different. Um, so it was really interesting to kind of be in that company of one person who was really kind of openly like charismatic and really, I'm not talking about you, but it was the other guy, <laughs> it was the, he was just so different. And, and then there was you and you were so quiet, um, and so kind of unassuming and just really quiet. And then, uh, you know, we, we, I, I'd be driving, but we had, you know, I don't know if you were drinking or whatever, but I remember you getting up and then singing your song. And I was like, what the f- um, And I just remember having this thing of going, you, this guy's like a, such a dark horse. And then you came back to the table and I remember, I think we then went upstairs and we were just chatting and got a table upstairs. And um, I just remember being really intrigued by you as a person. I thought you were really quiet, but but there was so much going on behind your eyes and with the other guy, it was kind of all out and show and there for, you know, it was, his personality was very much like he wore it on, you know, outward. Yours was very much, it was like trying to, it was for sure hidden and trying to kind of. Dark and brooding. So what you're trying to say is I was, Jeez. I was very much a, a James Dean sort of Oh character. God, really, were you? That's, no, yeah. that's not what I'm trying to say at I all. Didn't, I didn't have the leather jacket. I'm just trying but. to say that you were very quiet and it was a challenge, but um, interesting to kind of get to know you. And I do remember that night asking you if you wanted to have children. It wasn't a kind of like, hey, do you want to have kids with me? But um, I, do remember I, you, remember I do remember you making like a funny quip about, you know, not right now, um, which is obviously really funny now to tell that story. Because it wasn't then, it was a few years later. <laughs> manifestation. And uh, I'm uh, exactly the law of, <laughs> That's the not law, what the I meant. laws of manifestation. <laughs> but so, yeah, that was the first time we met. Uh, so in those those weeks and months that we started uh, jamming as you know as a duo, um, for the first time, did you ever feel that music was fueling 
the drug as much as acting had done previously? Um, I'm not sure if I ever really saw it in that way or I think for sure it was fulfilling something and it was allowing me to express myself in a way that I had kind of always done but in a different in a different way in a a band for the first time and with someone else and not in a musical theatre sense because that was kind of what I'd come from was more musical theatre and then obviously all the kind of um <laughs> yeah the other stuff but it it was it was new it was for sure new and I don't know if it ever really fulfilled the the acting thing probably not no, it it didn't, but it it did give me that ability to. Um, at that stage, I was like working as a drama tutor. I was like working and save the children. I was also, I'm pretty sure, working on my ex boy or boyfriend at the time's ice cream van, like randomly, and like three or four jobs. And, um, it was for sure giving me an outlet and giving me a space to, to just getting kind of getting um connect to that side of me again and then it we kind of went at it pretty hard music wise in you know in terms of we tried to be as professional as we could we tried to make things happen you know we played we played a few decent gigs along the way yeah you know wrote and recorded and everything was very music 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 that was the the bedrock to our relationship having met that night at the open mic night um was all based around music you know yep. we enjoyed playing together we enjoyed similar bands incubus and counting crows and you know this whole wide range of stuff and then there just came a point when we both just walked away from music yeah we just literally and i don't know if it was conscious or or not we played a farewell gig that was farewell for us because we were going to go to canada for a, a gap year where was that one was that oh that was tuts king tuts mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um 2009 supporting charlotte o'connor uh, who is amazing by the way charlotte oc september 2009 yep. we were going to canada yeah loaded with all the My copies God, of our cds with our we had we had an ep cd and we had to pretend like we had to put Oh my God, that's so funny because we thought it was going to be an issue in customs. So we, do you remember? Like I found them in the loft recently and we'd, we'd like put a little sign over them saying like free copies so that we're not selling these. We're, we're not selling these. We are not here to work. No, we're not here to work and sell these. But it seemed, it seemed like that experience right up until the, until we went to Canada was intense music wise. And then afterwards it just dropped. What was that like for you? I don't I mean it's funny I don't really remember it in that in that way um I do remember having a conversation with you over in your mum's and NI and and you saying that you wanted to kind of quit the band and I, I remember that being really painful at the time you know it was really early on I think but I, I do remember that being really painful and being like who are we without this can can something survive yeah i didn't know if we could because i just thought yeah oh my god who am, and and also i was like i need this like i knew you know I, there was an attachment there that i had to it then and um and to you and it just felt like oh my god who are we who am i without that um 
the so that I mean that's a bigger one for me. I don't really remember it in the same way that we. I mean, obviously, I remember that we did the, the gig in Tuts and stuff, and that we left for Canada, and then obviously we had our own experiences in Canada that then just completely led into something completely different. It led into us getting really serious about our health, um, because it was a kind of health uh, concern or scare, and naturally, then you kind of evolve and change lanes and I guess I didn't really think about it as a conscious oh my god that's now off the cards and that's been put in a box and that's a way um and it's come back right <laughs> well and truly come back around but you know a long time ago because because music's such a part of our life it's not ever going away and that I think that's the thing that we've realized um you know these last few years and particularly this year is that it's not going anywhere it's it's just a part of who we are and it is who we are and it is a part of our expression as humans and you know there'll be times when it's we're not as much in it and there'll be times where we're really in it and that's just natural as well like but there's something in that isn't there when you recognize that it's part of you that there is a kind of red pill blue pill scenario where you have to decide, or maybe you don't, but you have to decide whether mm. you're going to do something with it. And I see the sharing of art as being very, you know, multi-tiered. The, this idea of, I'm going to create art in my bedroom, I'm not going to share it. Great. Yep. I'm going to create art, but I don't want to make a living from it, so I can give it away for free or re recoup my costs. Again, great. Or the third one, you know, and we've probably dabbled in the first two. Yep. And then you have this third option where you're no, you're like, okay, I'm going to try and make a living from art or music or because of art and music or connected to art and music as a, you know, and make that the focal point of my life. Where did you get to in that um, thought process that brought us back around to, to be in a place where it was like, right, I'm on board. This time round. For, for St. Swell. Oh God! Um, do you know it was a few different things? I just, I think there's there's a part of it for sure that is age. I think there's a part of it for sure that is, um, just how much you've grown as a human, as a mother. That was a big one for me, you know. Um. And also the idea of of being able to say to their your kids that, you know, they can be, do or have anything, but then not trusting that yourself, you know, not trusting that that is the truth for you or not at least, and not at least exploring that regardless of the, you know, the big picture or the bigger kind of, but not even exploring that. Um, and obviously the songs were just really good. You know, the, for sure the best that they've ever been. The strongest songs that, that we've ever had. And to hear you play them day after day and night after night at the piano, um, I just knew there was no way that I could not be... That I couldn't go, no, we, we need to... We need to get, like, fucking, like, serious about this shit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And again, not in the way that you're like, okay, that's us, we're now, like fully full-time musicians um but in the way where you're like okay I'm going to explore the fact that I have been gifted with something and you've been gifted with something and you know if we're not exploring that and sharing that 
in a way that feels good for us, then what message does that send to our kids and to everyone that comes after, you know? Um, and I really wanted to support you in that as much as, as anything else as well. I really recognised that, and I know you've said it many times before, that, you know, together we're better. Um, and I really wanted to make sure that that we were building and creating something that was that was ours um that felt good for us both that was a way for us both to dive into the things that we are jointly and separately interested in um yeah it was just a kind of combination of all of those kind of things and I think you just get to a stage as well where one day you just you're like okay I'm done I'm done with the old stories and I'm done with the old you know, whatever they are. Um, I think. I think. That, dive in. I think there's a difference, though, isn't there, between telling yourself you're done with the old stories and being able to slay the demons that you know, you know, are going to be in our path as we move through this. Because I don't believe that the challenges I have around inadequacy around singing. Yeah. From when I was fifteen now to the age I am now, which yeah. I'm not revealing. <laughs> you can look at photos and and, 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 and understand by he's he's good for fifty one. He looks great. He doesn't look great for thirty seven. <laughs> uh, it's lucky hey, it's lucky I'm much younger than both of those numbers. It's lucky this is not T V. But these demons that have been in our past I don't feel unless you've hit unless you've really worked on yourself, yeah. don't go away. So what what yeah. sort of plan or strategy or or conscious decision have you got to be able to say well I now have this goal that we're both collectively aiming for I know I have personal and joint blockers along the way what can I bring to the table that I couldn't have brought 2009 to help get me towards that place is that a question what can I bring I think it's a question just (laughs) (laughs) um I mean just a deeper understanding of who I am of, of exactly as you're saying is that these feelings are not going away these feelings of being an imposter these feelings of not being good enough these feelings of they're human nature like and we all have them um so they're not I'm not going to one day reach the point where they're just not there anymore and then it's like okay now's the time now I can launch off that platform and yeah. well, oh god shit I'm now I'm 70 like they're not going anywhere and so I think what is nice about about that is that you and also because yeah. I mean that's the beauty of that human connection is that that people will ex- will say hey I feel the same I feel the same and I still do xyz and that is a massive thing to go oh right so we can feel that way and still do the thing um I mean that's really helpful so for me it's just getting you know we laughed and talked about it before about doing the work but <laughs> you know on the map but it is just really getting quiet with myself and and getting really clear on how I want to show up in the world and stop being, you know, led by fear and doubt and uh, feelings of inadequacy or feelings of like, oh shit, what will what will people think? Or, you know, who is she? And no, we need more people who are just doing them and we need to be celebrating that. Um, especially as women, we carry like way more fucking baggage and all that. So we need to be, yeah. Again, another perfect segue. Okay. 
if there is a unifying trait between all of the things that you do, oh. and we haven't really had a chance. We've kind of we've we've gone uh, we've gone in a, in a loop. We haven't had a chance to explore your birth work, yeah. part of motherhood. If we don't get that done today, we'll definitely come back and you know and understand and um, that aspect of things as time goes on. But yeah. if there is one unifying trait then between all of the things you do, based on what you were just talking about, birth work, music, acting, parenting, social justice, what do you think it is that you personally bring to all of those that make them better? <sighs> the truth. <laughs> no, we said it before, but oh, I think it's the truth. I think it's the truth that women's bodies are their own and they have to be solely responsible for how they want to birth. They have to have full autonomy of their bodies, their wishes. That's a human that's a human rights issue. That's that's the truth for me. That's the truth. Yeah. You know, however we want to, you know, institutionalize birth or, you know, medicalize birth is I mean, that's that's another chat for another day but the truth is that women are really capable and need to be doing things on their own terms and we've had too much chat too much you know um there's such a big hangover of patriarchal everythingness um and we're doing a lot of work to come out of that continually um but i think that is the unifying thing is the truth as an actor, as a singer, as a songwriter, as a birth worker, as an activist for birth um, and for women, I think it is getting to the truth of who we are and what we are capable of as human beings and sharing that with the world unapologetically and not asking for permission slips because none of us need them. Um, and my work with women and with families and pregnant people is is so much about unpacking all that stuff and really getting to the heart of who we are and what we're capable of and unpicking a system that is not designed for gentle birth and people and to to have them feel powerful. Um, and my wish really is that we all feel powerful and whatever kind of, you know, whatever it is that we go on, that we all feel that we are in charge of steering our own ship and... For me, birth is, you know, the way the way that our babies are coming into the world has to be, there has to be, you know, the, the captain in charge of that ship has to be the mother. It cannot be someone else. The same way that no one else can be in charge of our lives and direct how that goes. The same, you know, probably the same reason that we kind of unschool our children. Um as well it, it is this thing of freedom 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 it all comes back to freedom and truth but there is a, the I, I totally agree but this there is a universal truth isn't there to all of that that even someone who comes on and starts following us for our creative and music yeah. aspects will find various aspects of how they earn a living or educate their children or exist in the world that will find a commonality who might not ever want to become uh, an illustrator mightn't have any artistic um, strength that stand out in that same way but they'll see a truth that exists through all of it of being able to stand up and say well yes the 
pop music industry, the average age is, I, I'm just going to make this up, the average age is 22 mm. and nobody over the age of 30 has been signed to a major record label in 100 years. Yeah, we're not playing that game. Exactly We're not playing by those rules and by that standard and by that structure and by, you know, we're not playing by those rules and that has to be the common thread and theme theme for all of this is that create your own damn rules and create your own spaces because we're not doing it within these ones because they don't work. They're not for us and, um, yeah, they're they're not for us. But they do. I suppose that's the point, isn't it? They do work. Well, they do. Yeah, they work they, as they designed. Work. Exactly, and that isn't. You know, again, that's another chat for another day because we could really, yeah, we could really dive into that one. But um, yeah, it just comes back. It, it just comes back to me. You know, it's all about freedom. It's all about truth. It's all about doing things on your own terms. Um, and I just really believe that we need to. We need to start that. We need to start that super early. Like that starts at birth. That starts at birth, and then it starts at, you know, our kids as they grow and what they see and what our, you know, words are fine, but it's in your actions and what you do and how you're leading by example. And and then these people become people who are empowered adults and who understand that they have full say over their own lives and their own bodies and their own things and their own. You know what I mean? Um. And that's just really important to me. I think there's a there's a dangerous precedent, particularly to impart to your children when you're coming home and saying, "Oh no, another another rubbish day at the office," or yeah. that person couldn't birth the way they wanted to because the system taught them uh, or told them that that's you know the way it they had weren't to be. Allowed, you, allowed. You, you weren't allowed mm. a freedom of choice, freedom of thought, or freedom to follow. Yeah, I I think it's one thing to say, you know, again coming back to the your younger version looking at people in the cinema and going, I want to be that. Yeah. There is a completely another side to that in how you're going to get there or how you're going to get there in your own, in you know, under your own steam. Yeah. And that's what's going to become, I feel is going to be really interesting uh, what we're both bringing to the table and what you're bringing to the table in that regard of being able to bring that attention to community and towards this idea of freedom in general. It's just humanity, like it's just basic. For me, it's really basic, basic stuff. You know, it's like grounded, grounded stuff. Um, and it's been so lost along the way, but it has ripped us as humans and as women of of our power. And we don't trust ourselves as women. This is such a, you know, it's such a common... Yeah, I talk about it all the time, but there's we are really recovering our own, like, we we need to trust ourselves more, you know, and we we all need to do that as humans for sure. Anyway, we need to trust our inner, our kind of inner knowing. But um, but, you know, that's not how our systems and societies are like. You know, it doesn't work for them when we trust ourselves because then we don't consume and then we don't. Do you know we don't play by the rules and we don't play the game and um, I guess yeah, just be a rebel. Be radical, be a rebel and do things on your own terms. Looking ahead to the coming year, one yeah. year from now. Oh God, I hate looking ahead. <laughs> I hate I look, like... look behind. No, no, no. In the past. All, okay. I'm, all I'm saying is uh, looking ahead oh, wow. 12 months time. Right. Granted, 12 months ago, we couldn't have foreseen 
that 2020 would be such Jeez. an absolute shader. <laughs> right? In proper Glaswegian, right? Glaswe- Glaswegian patter. Yeah. Um, Who knew? But where do we want the dial of this creative freedom conversation to be 12 months from now for, you know, how are we... What, what will we have hoped to have added to that conversation? What will people know about themselves through our journey and through their own journey? Oh, mate, that's a massive question. I know, it's the last question Come of the on. night. Come on, couldn't you have asked me something like, hey, you're from Desert Island, like, and you've got to take like three things. Marlon Brando <laughs> book, Marlon huge. Brando t-shirt, Marlon no. Brando. That is huge. Um, I know we didn't even talk about Catherine Hepburn and any of those goodies. We're going to come um, back, don't worry. Part, part I don't know. Let's just say what I'm looking forward to in the next year as opposed to what can we, you know, expect we're going to share. Expect. You know, um, what am I looking forward to in this next year? I am, I am looking forward to releasing some from new songs. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, we have been working really hard on some awesome tunes that we're really proud of. Um, and I'm really looking forward to getting into a place where we can, we can properly, um, release those as an EP. Um, I don't really want to give a timeline for that because I don't really know when it's gonna, these things always take longer than what you expect, but I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm really just looking forward to having more conversations, um, you know, I don't know how good I am at being on this side. I'm much better. I think I like to be the, I like to be the asker of the questions and not the. I really struggle with interviews because I find it on a given day I'll say a different thing and it's kind of then etched in time that that's what you said in that given moment in time and, and another day or another time I would say come something completely different. Um, so I find it really hard and uh, and obviously it's completely off the cuff and on the spot. So you're like, oh shit, what do you say? Um, so I'm really looking forward to interviewing more people because I love people and I love finding out people and their lives and uh, what connects us as, as humans. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that, to having more conversations, um, to exploring further what it really, you know, what it means for us to be uh, living our most creatively free lives. Um, that's exciting. And to just continue to explore who we are as artists and as creatives and allow that to always blossom and bloom um yeah search for the truth and continual search for the truth and freedom (laughs) truth and freedom you heard heard it here first Mm -hmm. thank you so much i'm sure you didn't hear it here first i'm sure there's someone else long ago that's i'm not i'm not so sure anybody's ever spoken (laughs) about these topics before (laughs) that's the nature of humanity ever um that's it. Interrogation is over. Oh my god, it felt like an interrogation. Did, did it really? I no, it didn't. No, it didn't. It wasn't so all. bad. No, it wasn't bad at all. Um, please remember, everyone, if you've enjoyed these conversations, uh, remember to like, share, subscribe, and follow wherever you find your podcasts, and that you can check out uh, both of us and our quest towards greater creative freedom on our website and social channels, saintswell.com. We really appreciate you spending a little time with us and we look forward to doing it again soon. Thank you. Thank you.